The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So we're in week three, week number three of Broken. Took a break last week, didn't Harry? Krupsy do a great job for Mother's Day. (laughs) Praise God for him being in our church. Uh, We continue uh, back to this series called For the Broken. When you hear that word broken, what do you think about when you hear the word broken? Maybe uh, if you're like me, when I you know, first heard it, thought about what we're doing. I, I'm a big uh, Sylvester Stallone Rocky fan. You know how many, do, how many, come on, admit it. Yeah, come on. Rocky, trail. So, and I hear, uh, I hear Ivan Drago's words, you know, in, in Rocky IV. And he just pounds on Rocky's, I must, what? I must break you, break you, I must break you. That's what I think of. Broken, broken. Maybe you're thinking about, um, you know, a, a Mustang or a wild stallion out, you know, in the country that you got to break. Or if you're like me, six toddlers running around for X number of years of my life, you know, six kids, you got to break them, you got to discipline them. Or maybe uh, breaking, uh, there's, a, there's a book called Unbroken, a movie, Unbroken. You ever seen that? Uh, Louis Zamperini's story, and you think about the prisoners of war, and they have to break uh, the will to get secrets out of them. Broken, when we talk about broken, here's what we mean in this series. It's, it's about these feelings and emotions of being hurt by the words and actions of others. Specifically, when we're talking about broken in this series, we're talking about uh, focusing on the brokenness. The brokenness caused by capital C, church, means all of Christianity. Maybe you've experienced that, the hurt and pain that comes from religion, Religious leaders and teachings and others that you've been hurt by. If you haven't seen the first two messages, always go online and, can, and get catch up if you haven't been here in a while. But I want you to just be reminded of this. When you, we use the word religion, when we use the word religion, we're talking about it in a narrow sense. Meaning we're, we're talking about uh, focusing on, on people's actions, their behaviors, the traditions, the, the things that they must do to try to please a holy God which is opposed to what we know of what religion to be a relationship with Jesus alone and what he has done and not what, was, what, what we must do. Does that make sense? So think about that when you, when, I hear, when you hear the words religion come out of us sometimes. Last week or two weeks ago, Pastor Joe spoke about this, about how this Jewish God-fearing religious leaders of that day, how they thought and how they taught that by their good deeds, by their behavior, by their actions, their righteousness, their own righteousness, they could earn God's favor and grace. And that kind of, that line of thinking, you remember in John chapter 8, that it almost caused a woman that was caught in adultery to be stoned to death. And and in Jesus' words of John 8, verses 10 and 11, he says, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers, Jesus says. Has, has no one condemned you? And Jesus says, neither do I. What? Condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. When I heard that again, uh, that, that, that what, what came to my mind was what John chapter 3, verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to what? Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Through him. Jesus constantly spoke against those religious leaders that had that line of, of thinking that caused hurt and pain and brokenness and fear and, and shame and, and condemnation. 
In fact, even after Jesus' life on earth, a little bit of a a history lesson through Christianity, isn't it true that in every era of Christianity, there's been brokenness? Every era of Christian history, there has been brokenness. But I don't know if you know about this. There, There have been wise and faithful leaders in the Christian church from the very beginning that came together and they said, we're going to fight against some of the things that are not true in the Christian faith. So 500 years after in church history, after Jesus, they came together, and maybe you've heard of this before, in councils like Nicaea, in councils like Chalcedon and Ephesus, Constantinople. They would come together and they would agree, this is how we should fight the heresy that's infiltrating, that's hurting, that's breaking the church. And from that, great confessions, uh, well, from these heresies, Really, and I'll identify just three of them for you. Heresies that, that, that kind of got into the church even in Jesus' day and, and after Jesus' day. Gnosticism comes from the Greek gnosko. Gnosticism meaning there's some secret knowledge that you have to attain in order to redeem yourself. Heresies like docetism, which means it seems like Jesus' body was real, but it really wasn't. So if his body wasn't real, then his suffering and his death and his resurrection wasn't real. Yikes. Heresies like Nestorianism from this guy Nestorius who said this, that there existed, uh, Jesus existed as two persons. One divine, one human, completely separate and distinct, but shared one body. Ooh, sounds close, but no, unbiblical. Not, not, not true. And what did this cause in the church? It caused people to look not to Jesus and what he did on the cross, but look to themselves for knowledge, for their own righteousness, for their own actions. Unbiblical things that would go on, they would come together as Christian leaders, they would meet and said, what are the essential truths of the faith? And they would come up with these confessions of faith in Nicaea, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Short, simple summaries Maybe not the Athanasian, but short summaries about, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. And they would pack it in to a short, simple couple paragraphs and say, this is what we believe the Bible says. And that would help people not be broken, not live in fear and shame and condemnation. I recommend for you to read those creeds this week. I think I have that as a suggestion for your readings in the back of my notes there. Uh, But think about this. In Christianity, it was legalized in Rome about 300 years after Jesus, this Edict of Milan and and other edicts in, in the 300s. Then what happened to the church? Well, Political organizations formed, structures were put in place, buildings were put up, and what happened to the church? It kind of became over-religious. It kind of talked more about what we must do to try to please a holy God. It kind of talked about behavior and a complex system of rules and traditions, and here's what you're going to do about what's right and good, as opposed to having a relationship with Jesus so the church gets off track a bit. And it causes large amounts of brokenness. Doesn't it? You know this, right? And then you think about this, that the darkest days of Christianity really came when people departed from the truth of God's grace and love and lived by a system of works and traditions. Think about the dark ages, the middle ages, that period of time from the fall of Rome, like the 5th century to the 15th century, uh, 15th century to the Reformation. Think about 
how we've learned maybe in school, and maybe if you haven't, you, you, you think about how culture and religion, true religion, really didn't progress, you know, progress, progress, but digress. Think about that. I want, I want you to, to hear uh, what Haley's Bible uh, handbook says, kind of like an almanac of Christian history. He, uh, the, the, the writer says, the 200 years between Nicholas I, Gregory VII, so that's about uh, 585 to about 1,000 A.D., so 500 to 1,000 years, Roman popes, right, is called by historian, historians the midnight of the dark ages. Why? Because there's bribery, there's corruption, there's immorality, there's bloodshed. And then he writes so boldly, he says it makes it just about the blackest chapter in the whole of the history of the church. There's brokenness everywhere. And so my question today is how about now? What, what, what about now? How about people who have been broken by the church now? It's either it's leaders or it's teachings or people. I mean, we can all think about that for just a moment. The abuses of power and position. I mean, you know, you know, it's been, I think, 17 years now uh, since the Boston Globe broke that story of the Roman Catholic Church and the sexual abuses that happened, right? Not just in the U.S., but all over the world. Not just in Roman Catholicism, but maybe you, you've heard, maybe you haven't, that even the largest Protestant denomination in the U.S., the Southern Baptist Convention, did you know that after uh, just last year, really, there's two papers in Texas, the Houston, a Houston paper and a, and a San Antonio paper, uncovered 700 cases of sexual abuse perpetrated by nearly 400 church leaders going back to 1998 in the Southern Baptist Convention. Sad. Would you acknowledge with me there's a lot of brokenness in the church? Church leaders who, you know, just say things so they can pray on the gullible in the week to give money to fill their pockets. I mean, think about the TV evangelists of the 80s. I mean, how many of them got in trouble? The religious leaders who use the pulpit really to promote unbiblical truth in their own political agendas. People who say, leaders of the church who say, you're not healed because you didn't pray enough. Or you don't have enough faith. Or maybe there's a sin that you're not confessing. I mean, that, that happens all throughout the, the Christian church, and it causes immense brokenness. Pastors who say, you know what, if you want to be wealthy and successful, well, you have to follow these things. You have to name it in the name of Jesus. You have to claim it and then believe it, and then you're going to have it. I mean, how many of us, before you come to church, click on you know, the television, you hear those kinds of things? And then you come to hear it, you come here, and I pray you'll hear just the opposite message from that. Maybe you've heard people in your life saying, oh, you know what, this church did this to me and my family, or this pastor said this, now I'm not going, I'm sick and tired of the church talking about blah, 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 blah. Maybe you've heard that kind of thing. When I hear that, I, the first thing I do is, oh, I get offended. I mean, I'm a professional church worker, right? I'm the clergy. I get defensive. But at the same time, there's truth in that. There are legitimate cases that that happen and people get hurt, they get broken by the church. And so when I was thinking about this message, I think, well, really two things come to mind why that's so. The first one is this, that those who are doing the hurting, maybe they're not Christians at all. They say they, say they are. You ever heard of a church doctrine or a teaching called the visible and the invisible church? Have you ever heard that, that the visible church, no matter what Christian denomination it is, it strives to represent the Christian message, but by its nature, it's not going to do so perfectly. 
and we're to treat it like any other imperfect human organization. But the invisible church, the invisible church is something different. It's a term for all believers, true believers in Jesus. And humans, we can't fully discern that belief. Only God can know true membership in that church. It's just not human sinfulness, really, that, that causes brokenness because we know something else. Somebody that's alive and active in this world that we can't see that prowls around. Who is that? Satan. Satan is active, and that battle produces brokenness all over the place. I want you to open up the scriptures for me today. Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus refers to this in the parable that he teaches. Matthew 13 is on page 1518, the Bibles we provide. I'm going to begin in verse 24. Jesus tells them another parable. He says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this. He replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them out, pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. I think about that song we just sang, fear can go to hell. Shame can go there too. Well, they'll be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. You see, God knows who are the weeds. God knows who are the wheat. And he will ultimately judge, as the Bible says, the living and the dead. And as those creeds of the early church also summarize. So one explanation, well, people are hurt and broken by a Christian leader and teaching a person because maybe that person isn't really a Christian. Number two, though, which probably happens more frequently than number one, is that those who are doing the hurting, they are Christians. They're true believers, but they are sinful and do wrong things, and they're not perfect. They believe in Jesus, but just because we believe in Jesus doesn't make us suddenly sinless, does it? Not at all. We think incorrectly. The only time we're going to be made fully sinless is when we're in heaven. And be perfect and complete. So, if you're a Christian, the same truth applies if you're not a Christian. Broken people hurt broken people. Whether they're a priest or a pastor or an elder or a teacher or youth ministry, guilty. Whether you're a congregation member, a Christian attender, guilty. We still all sin. But here's the thing. If you're not broken in some way, or you don't have any issues with sin, then guess what? You don't need to belong here, right? I mean, it's, it's the healthy people that don't need Jesus. But if you're like me, and you know that you've sinned intentionally or unintentionally, if you hurt others or, or you've been hurt, then guess what? You belong here. You belong here. 
We need the good news of the gospel. That Jesus is the only one that saves. Amen? Amen. So what about really? Let's get closer to home. Faith Lutheran Church. Have people been broken by this church because people sinned against them? Yes. Guaranteed. It happens. I mean, it even happens in my own family. For the ones that we love and are dear to us so close, we sin against them. But here's the truth. The church, capital C, will still always be a place of repentance, of confession, of forgiveness, of healing and reconciliation. The church, capital C, what Jesus called the, the Jesus calls it the ecclesia, the ones called out, the ones that he claims by baptism and faith. He says this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So brothers and sisters in Christ, the church is a place of healing. The church is a place of healing for the broken. You see, because if you think of Christianity as this religion, as, as a set of laws to do good and be good, to help others and please God, then we have the wrong focus. The focus should be on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, God didn't intend Christianity to be a religion like that. Christianity's for us to take out of this church building, to bring into the lives of every relationship we have. Amen? Romans chapter 2, we're going to talk a little bit about this, unpack it from Romans 2 and Romans 8. So I want you to turn there. Romans 2, found on page 1749. Um, as we read that, we're going to talk about Saul. You know the man Saul who was like the most zealous follower of the Jewish religion. Jesus meets him on the road, he converts to Christianity, and he writes this letter to the Romans, and as he's writing, he's writing to his Jewish believers. And when you hear the word law, as I read this, when you hear the word law, think about religion in the narrow sense, okay? Beginning in verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say the people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you not rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Basically, Paul saying to his fellow Jews and to us that God's truth given in the law, that's a great thing. It's a privilege. You have it. But do you practice what you preach? The answer is no. Sometimes... I mean, when I preach to you, I'm preaching right back at me. Right? God's laws, though, as it's revealed in the scriptures, they are good. They teach you how to live rightly and to lead God's will and to do what God wants because that's what's best for people. But they point out sin and they also condemn. So God's law is this. It can never remove sin. And so it's incomplete. 
religion with its list of do's and don'ts, that's not the answer. The law of God, in essence, shows us our sin, but it's not complete. What, then, is the answer God gives to complete it? How does he bring completion? Sunday school answer, Jesus. Romans chapter 8, go there. And really, here's the main point that I want to take away and I want you to take away from this message. The reason religion causes brokenness is because it's incomplete. But God did something to fix it. We're going to read that in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Pastor Joe kind of ended his message on John with Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life sets me free from the religion, the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. And that's kind of where docetism came, but it's the untruth, if you remember that heresy. In the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. I know I was a tangent, I'm sorry, but ask me later. Uh, and, and, and so he condemns sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might fully be met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according accordance with the, the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Mind of sinful man? Sinful religion, religion in the narrow sense is death. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. See, the reason religion is trying to live a good life, you know, to, to, to please God causes brokenness. It's because it's incomplete. But here's what God did. I'm going to kind of land on verse 3 for you as we close. Verse 3 tells us the law of God was powerless or in essence incomplete. Not able to accomplish, to fix our sin problem. So what does he do? He sends his own son to be a sin offering that completes, that fulfills what the law of God demands. What does the law of God demand? Demands perfection. Be holy. Because God the Father is holy. And then Jesus says, I I like what he says in Matthew chapter 5. Excuse me, I have to get a Kleenex. Just started to get a cold. And by the way, my son Nathan, could you please give me a water bottle from my office? The pastor lounge. Thank you. Um, Matthew chapter 5. I broke him long ago. He breaks me too. Uh, Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prop religion in the narrow sense. Don't think that I came to abolish that. I have not come to abolish that because they're good. But I came to what? Fulfill them. Jesus is the only one who could completely do that because he was the only one that was sinless and perfect, who didn't cause any pain or brokenness in anyone. He completely pleased God. So God's plan after the fall of man, is that the law of God would show us our sin, show us our brokenness, so that we could then point to Jesus who perfectly fulfilled all that for us as a sin offering, the perfect sacrifice. And so here's what happens. There's this holy and perfect exchange. My sinfulness for Jesus' righteousness. 
Jesus' righteousness covers over my sinfulness, and that is a beautiful thing. God's way to complete the law of God, to complete really true religion, was through Jesus. So we clarify in verse 3 again what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So he condemned, and I'm going to stop right here, he condemned sin. Not stop my message, but stop in the verse. He condemned sin. He didn't condemn us. He condemned sin. For what the law was powerless or impossible to do, it's incomplete. So so Paul, as he's writing to these Jewish, zealous, religious believers, he's saying, he's reminding us and them, God's law can't bring salvation. It's impossible that the law could ever bring salvation. His law... He didn't give to save, but to reveal our need for grace. But here's the thing, too, about God's law. It's good. It's perfect. Chapter 7, verse 16, if you look back in there, Paul says that. Hey, the law is good. You see, it's not a problem that's inherent in the law. It's not the fault of the law that it couldn't save. But it's because we are weak and sinful and broken. In our emotions, in our desires, it's this interaction with the law in our brokenness of humanity that makes it impossible to accomplish salvation. But here's the good news. In verse 3, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man, in all its likeness, in full humanity and divinity, to be a sin offering. So he condemns sin. I love that. And I love he echoes that in, in, in one of my favorite verses of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. That's amazing. I give thanks to God for that. That he is the one that paid the price for my sin. The penalty that I deserve, he took on the cross for me. That's why he writes in Romans 8, 1, Therefore now there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. See, here's the purpose of God sending his son. So that our future would look different than our past brokenness. So our future would look different from our past brokenness. I love the way he writes it in verse 1. Because if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. If you're in Christ, you didn't make yourself to be in Christ. God did it. God baptized you. God gave you faith. God gave you the Holy Spirit. He's the one that sought after you in your brokenness. He does it all. And we're simply here just receiving the blessings and saying, thank you, Lord. All right, so last question. Do you know someone who has been broken by the church or has been hurt by another Christian? Do you know anyone like that? Maybe you invited them through this series. And as you invite them, guess what you can be and still be in their relationship? The hands and feet of Jesus. Just like we, we commissioned those in the Stephen ministry, you are commissioned too. You're sent out to go, to be in relationship with broken people and let them witness your brokenness. And while they witness your brokenness, you're being healed as well. And they're being healed too because we're all pointing to Jesus. If you're a person who has been broken by the church, and you're here today because of that, 
then on behalf of the church of Jesus, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what you experienced. And I pray that will never happen to you again. And I encourage you, if you're here, talk to one of us pastors. We'd be happy to open up our ears and listen. We'd be happy to point you to a Christian counselor that can also get help for you. Talk to a trusted friend. Let us hear from that and let us say sorry. And let us walk with you in that brokenness. You know, I wish I could say that there's not going to be any more brokenness. But that's not the truth, is it? Because Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble. But take heart. In this life you will have brokenness, but take heart. I have come, I have overcome the world so that you might have peace. That's great news. And that focus that we have then, we could have it on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We point to Jesus in this church. It's a church where you can have forgiveness and healing. Jesus knew that. And before he left, before he ascended into heaven, he left this gift for us to celebrate together. He knew that we're going to have this life of brokenness. And so he said, I'm going to want you to come as you gather week in and week out. You're going to be blessed by my very own body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And in this sacrament, in this way, this means of grace, you get to have forgiveness and life and salvation. So we get to partake of that. You're invited to come to this. But before that, I want you to bow your heads and just prepare your hearts If you've broken somebody just this week, if you've been broken and you can't forgive and you know the sin that's on our hearts, if you know that, that's a a gift of, of God to repent. So I ask you to do that just now.